All right, folks, thanks for coming out tonight. My name is Andrew Faust. This is our Brooklyn Permaculture Meetup. This building is called the Brooklyn Commons, and it's meant to be a space where people can talk about and share a lot of different ideas and concepts, things that might be a little bit radical or edgy or challenging. Melissa is a graduate of our permaculture design certification program. And on the first floor in the cafe, all of the things that are happening on each story of the building, she did for a design to graduate from our class about eight years ago. So the building itself is a campus, an educational context to get a sense of. And now we're up here in this rooftop garden, which is a very successful example of all the design recommendations that I give for how do we begin to really tap into the power of nature wherever we are, which is part of what I wanted to talk about tonight with this idea of what is a permaculture politics or the ethics of permaculture, which are really the foundation and part of why it's useful often no matter where we're coming from culturally or geographically, meaning often permaculture is largely associated with rural and country applications. And a lot of what I like to dive into with it is more how to apply it as a thinking tool, as a framework for understanding a bunch of different issues that are often thought of as disparate and separate and siloed. Like for instance, food security, energy security, quality of life and how to actually have a good one. What does that entail? How do we start to, as a population, have more of a direct access and ability to be in charge of where our food comes from is an ethical question because we're actually very vulnerable in the present infrastructure due to the fact that we have no control, no direct relationship over the vast majority of where our actual sustenance comes from. And most of what education teaches people about is how to participate in the perpetuation of a system that continues that phenomenon. So people learn a lot about centralized, long distance transportation, highly engineered systems that they as individuals understand very little about how it actually all fits together into dinner showing up on their plate at night. And what permaculture is about and why it's political and why it's ethical is because it's getting at the whole system, the earth itself. And it's asking a deeper question about where does our true sustenance come from? It doesn't come from trucks and transportation systems and petrochemicals and having a massive military in place so that the oil can keep flowing. It actually comes from human beings participating in a relationship with natural systems. So the power of nature is ultimately what permaculture is paying attention to and saying, how do we tap into nature's wisdom when it comes to where our food comes from as populations living in a metropolitan center starting to have regional plans where we create intentional, beneficial economic incentives for green corridors, where we actually have high density urban areas in the five boroughs where people can ride bikes out 
reclaimed rail trails to go work on farms that produce beyond organic produce as well as start to really provide full diet food inputs, you know, looking not just at high-end lettuce that you can sell for top dollar, which is arguably a lot of what local farming has gotten very good at, but not really asking deeper questions regionally about what does it mean to be food independent, which is completely achievable and a reasonable conversation to be having in the Northeastern United States. We're water rich, we are land rich, and we are vastly squandering the potential in this region to begin to claim our independence in terms of food and energy and getting off of the dole of the petrochemical military industrial centralized economy that is ultimately contaminating us to the teeth and leaving us with nothing but destitution, degradation, and a completely debauched ethical legacy. And permaculture is about reclaiming our integrity and our dignity as human beings, recognizing that the power of nature that we want to reclaim is our own nature, right? Human nature. That's been disparaged. Human nature is something that's been dragged through the gutter in many ways by environmentalism. And the environmental movement largely tells us that we're a scourge on the planet and probably the best thing we could do environmentally is commit suicide now. If you really look at the philosophical foundation of its tenets, we're all going to have low flow shower head, shrink our footprint, and wear a hair shirt and self-flagellate and try to be less bad <clears throat> in order to be environmental. And I've been saying that that's morally and ethically debauched for a long time because it's important to reclaim our joy in our humanness, celebrating our innate humanity, hedonistic permaculture, where we actually recognize that we're right now bereft of all kinds of culinary experiences because of how really incredibly vapid our food supply is. It has, it has really no terroir, no complexity, incredibly paltry semblance of what a real diet looks like, where we have wild foods that are coming from non-contaminated soils. You know, a good economy is an economy that reflects the ability for human beings to measure their capacity to actually improve health, improve diet, improve longevity, improve free time, improve levity. I think that's important in particular. You know, every day where I live up in Ulster County, most of the time, and then I come into Brooklyn to try to talk to my fellow humans because there's a lot of us here. So up in Ellenville, I have more of what I call the classic like permaculture ecotopic escape pod those are easy to do. I can teach you how to do them. We teach classes for the people who are sort of what I call, you know, I need to make my little prepper place where when it all goes down, I'll feel like I have some modicum. Just forget about that fantasy because none of us have any idea about what will happen in the zombie apocalypse. So forget about preparing for it. Just eschew <laughs> that that's worth your while. And start to get on with the idea that permaculture is actually about 
celebrating the fact that we're alive on a planet where there's more than enough to go around. And humans have been pissing a lot of that down the drain through their ignorance and self-destructive behaviors for about 5,000 years. And as soon as we actually wake up and have this awareness where we realize like, wait a minute, we're on a planet in outer space circling around the sun where life has been getting more and more complex for four and a half billion years. Why have we been destroying everything to supposedly be able to feed ourselves? Let's like raz nature to the ground so that we can grow some corn here so we can feed it to factory farm cattle so we can make that available to people as something they should ingest when in fact it should be called hazardous waste and nobody in their right mind should be consuming it. But we call it food. And then we talk about hunger and we're like, oh, well, you know, hunger is because of unequal distribution. Inequal distribution of what? Complete crap that nobody should be eating? Who cares? There's this whole notion that, oh, well, food banks, we're going to give food to the hungry. That's right. Toxic industrial factory farmed food. Oh, because only yuppies and the elite can afford organic food. Absurd. The reality is we subsidize toxic industrial corporate food. And if Archer Daniels Midland and Sibakagi and all of the supermarkets of the world hadn't basically taken over what you could call agriculture, which is why I also say I could care less about saving farms. People say, well, no food, no farms. What kind of farms are we talking about? Because just saving farming for farming's sake is not permaculture. Permaculture is not a Rousseauian romanticization of the past, where we have some platitudinal concept of a golden age that we're going to return to. Hooey, nonsense, ridiculous. It's time for our society to grow up, become mature, and stop being immature adolescents who try to blame others for their problems. And what permaculture is, is it's an unapologetic historical review of our past that says, where have we done things right and where have we done things wrong? That's actually empirically quantifiably definable. It's not morally relative, right and wrong. It has to do with whether you left a better inheritance after you were dead and gone for future generations to enjoy or a worse one. That's it. And that benchmark is quantifiably empirically measurable because guess what? Here are the constraints. You're on a planet in outer space that's 24,901 miles in circumference. It's about 70% ocean. It's about 30% land where humans evolved from primates, to which we're still 99% related about three and a half million years ago around the equatorial rain belt. And the only reason life ever left the ocean was because it evolved the capacity to live on the surface of a planet that is rocketing around a massive thermonuclear furnace at 67,000 miles per hour in its orbit. And what biological life did was it modulated and adapted and responded to the oscillations of solar flux and planetary influences and asteroid meteor showers. And it's very robust and it's very adapted. And the reason we're here is because we're well adapted to the planet. And what's happened is we've gotten addicted to petrochemicals, military industrial concepts of energy supply, food supply, and creature comforts. And ultimately the goal for the privileged classes of the G20 nations is to get off of the T to the petrochemical industries, get off of the military industrial centralized supply system, 
and become more regionally autonomous by means of local food production, local energy production, which are all completely achievable. And any solution set that doesn't talk about putting the hands of food into local populations and putting energy as a decentralized renewable system that is appropriately scaled to the areas that it lands is a sellout solution set that is buying into centralized long distance transportation, fossil fuel infrastructures and economies. And it's what the World Bank and the IMF fund and what most of the politicians around the world sell as an economic model of development. And what we need is a new model of economic development that's based on regional food independence, regional energy independence, and not subsidizing bad actors, not subsidizing the nuclear industry, the coal industry, the cattle industry, the timber industry, which at present in this country, we give millions of dollars every year of taxpayer dollars to all of those worst actors of our present economy. So politics of permaculture says what we need is an egalitarian society where everybody is taken care of as the first order of business of what our taxes are spent on. People are healthy, air quality is improving, water quality is improving, food supplies are getting localized and incentivized to go beyond organic and become relevant to what we can already research are the existing diet choices that occur within our regions. Now, right now, what are people doing at MIT? What are they doing at Cooper? What are they doing at Columbia? Are they researching this? Have they developed an infrastructure for us that actually isn't dependent upon petrochemicals, huge standing militaries, and the continued death of our children at the hands of chronic violations of Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act? Or instead, are they actually in complicity with dirty industries by perpetuating business as usual and an industrial modality of moving materials around providing basic necessities of life. And what I would suggest to you is that's ethically and morally culpable. And in fact, it's interesting that as a society, we don't actually hold universities and educational institutions to define for us the ethical and moral integrity of what it is they're educating our children in. Right. And how do you define what's ethical and what's moral? Where anything that's actually contributing to the chronic contamination in the air, the chronic contamination of the water, and degradating soils and degrading future inheritances of any mature, diverse forest ecologies or a healthy ocean is a bad design idea. And the present economy can be described as that every step of the way. If you look at it, the ocean is ready to feed all of us for free if we would just stop being such destructive, nihilistic humans who let the industrial sector trawl it to death. Every book that I've read on the ocean confirms that this is true. The reason why the oceans are dying is not even because of radioactive waste and pollution, like you might think, <laughs> but it's actually because of industrial trawling. Because what industrialism did was it basically made it so they could take these absurd, extractive, monstrous means of harvesting fish into deeper and deeper waters that were always havens for where the nurseries were and all the rich production was, right? 
So imagine crazy nihilistic humans who have let industrialists run rampant and roughshod over your entire planet and future generations genetics. Imagine that you could actually just stop that nonsense. And the earth's totally just waiting for you to not be such a disrespectful, hoarding, violent and abusive creature and actually become a loving, creative, caring, restorative, patient, observant, kind creature. It's our behavioral work to change our behavior and not support stuff that is obviously part of the problem, not part of the solution. And that involves, often in this day and age, a certain amount of austerity, minimalism, and simplicity because there's so much dross that if you eschew it, you're more likely to be living a beneficial life to the greater whole. You know, the, the web of life from which we come to which we return, but we rarely pay attention to the fact that this planet is something that we're actually able to either wisely and intentionally participate with how it works, or we can sort of ignorantly and self-destructively bump our head up against it and foreshorten our lifespan. All of those things are obviously empirically deducible in the present scenario, right? You can either very uh, firmly make an argument for catastrophism and apocalypticism, and at the same time, recognize that in the face of that, the most important thing conceivably, if you actually do hold some value in our species, is to have a vision of a better alternative that solves the problems that you can easily demonize and get overwhelmed by and even get self-impressed by your ability to stand up and talk about how we're all diddly done for, right? Which frankly is way too much of what I see around much of the more sort of crisis oriented. What are we going to do about the climate and the earth? Well, what are we going to do about the fact that as humans, these are patterns of behavior that go back over thousands of years. This is much older than it is made out to be. And now we've added insult to injury, which is our reliance on petrochemicals, mining, extracting, and refining as a means of housing ourselves, clothing ourselves, feeding ourselves, and medicating ourselves, right? So we need to change what we build things out of, what we make stuff out of, how we generate energy, and where our food comes from. And permaculture is about systemic causal addressing of what largely in the Western culture is dealt with symptomatically. A lot of people make money off of the fallout of the present system, right? It's like having an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff makes a lot more money than having a sign at the stop, you know, a stop sign at the top of the cliff that just says, don't go over here, right? And permaculture says, let's just see where an ounce of prevention can be applied instead of this pound of cure. And the present system lets the private sector basically run rampant and roughshod over our air and our water and people in New York City can't really wisely ride bicycles over the Williamsburg Bridge 
because you're likely to be really increasing your, your tendency to contract a carcinoma because of how polluted that air is and how aerobic your physical activity is means you're more deeply pulling into your lungs diesel particulate, right? So there's this whole catch-22 happening in cities where a lot of people who are eclectics and artists and creatives are drawn here to find their voice and create their vision. And at the same time, the city is this toxic industrial petropolis that is this nightmare for people as far as health exposure considerations goes. And that needs to be something that is addressed, where cities become places that respect human health as a bottom line of design. And a lot of it has to do with this tractor-trailer import-export economy that's going on. You know, it's something like Lester Brown in Plan B estimates New York City has 900 tractor-trailer rigs leaving a day, 600 tractor-trailer rigs forming a nine-and-a-half-mile-long convoy. Lester Brown Plan B, World Watch Institute, right? 600 tractor-trailer rigs, nine-and-a-half-mile convoy leaving New York City every single day hauling trash. And he estimates something like 50% of it you could take offline if you just get organics out of the trash in New York City, right? So permaculture looks at the industrial waste system and says, how can we disentangle the web of deceit of industrial disposal? Because it is a web of deceit. Because this notion that you can just combine all these things and put them in a big pile somewhere is a complete mistake is an understatement because they turn into Superfund sites. They n none of them have a liner that's going to last. If you read the small print that the EPA says about all these landfills, right? None of them have liners that the feds who regulate HPDM 6 mil, none of them are going to last more than 30 years. So, and then you look at maps. If you do look at maps like this, which all my students I used, so I taught high school for 10 years and I would tell all my kids who I taught environmental chemistry to, they had to research the nearest Superfund site to their house. A lot of them thought I said Superfund, right? It's like, it's the opposite kind of, really. Superfund or the water quality of their nearest stream. And the reason I was, so in southeastern Pennsylvania, Chester County, part of the Northeastern Corridor, familiar territory. To New York City and part of why they have that assignment is because if you look at a national map of Superfund sites which is 12,226 of them you'll see that there's a huge dense cluster of them in the northeastern corridor <laughs> they like star you can't even see them all New Jersey has the dubious honor of the most in the entire country which says a lot because it's a small state right <laughs> so you know like wait concentration so having children know how to research what is a Superfund site, what are the chemicals, who's responsible for it, what is the government saying they're supposedly going to do to clean it up, should be part of our education. And then teaching them how we're going to produce energy and make materials in a way that doesn't continue to create future Superfund sites. Right? If you're not doing that, what you're doing is just nonsense. And it totally boggles my mind how many teachers and educators get like all deep about education is actually like technocratic upward mobility that most people call education in this culture. Who cares? 
or climbing the class ladder. I get it. We've created a culture of such stratification that everybody wants a piece of what really only the 10% have, which is why we're gonna take like 50% of their income and give it back to people like they did in FDR's time, right? During the Great Depression, he basically went to a bunch of his rich friends and said, you know what guys, people are about to riot and you're gonna now get taxed 50% so that doesn't happen. They were like, all right, I guess that sounds good. That's kind of what, that's what we're looking at. The, the problem in this country is small-minded mentalities that sell out to some kind of supposed like patriarchal voice of reason that says, well, we must subsidize dirty industries and keep the huge standing military and hemorrhage most of our taxes to private enterprises. Because clearly, that's a good plan for the longevity of the people of the United States, right? It's like absurd. I think we are looking at a time where, you know, rioting might not be the most inappropriate social response. I mean, really. So permaculture politics tries to resist resorting to violence <laughs> for political means. And I'm really trying to understand that power comes from local autonomy. Because until you achieve local autonomy, there's always this concept of like big brother being able to take what it is you have. There's no big brother that can take what you have when you know where your dinner's coming from. And you know where the materials that make your buildings is coming from. And you know that where the electricity is coming from is being maintained in a very reasonable, sustainable, appropriate, diversified way. And we can do that from a retrofit application that goes from building to building, home to home, community to community, watershed to watershed, region to region, right? So we need comprehensive scaled up and scaled down integrated solution sets. And that's a political opportunity because it creates political independence for local communities, which they cannot achieve as long as they're dependent on things that they could provide reasonably. I'm not saying regions are trying to achieve isolationism. I'm simply saying we need to do and would benefit from doing a much better job at diversified regional food security and food full diet insofar as that's achievable independence within a region and energy independence with decentralized renewable energy systems. And by creating a master plan for a watershed like the Hudson Valley watershed, we start to achieve a leverage point that short of that can't be achieved by any other means, which is the closer at hand the means of what it is that you're depending upon comes from, the more you have a direct potential relationship to improve the benefit and reliability of those material needs that you're enjoying the benefits of, right? If you don't have a relationship with them that's tangible, then you also don't have a reason to really steward landscapes in a manner that is restorative and multifunctional. 
because you don't need to get a yield from them in a way that's actually economically necessary. There's a benefit between creating what in permaculture we call local economies for local people from local landscapes. Not because we're trying to just create local yokels, so to speak, but because when you give a connection between local people to their local landscape through their livelihood, then all of a sudden you have a long-term regional plan needing to be created because you're wanting to create a mosaic of livelihoods that are actually connected to the landscape. And that needs to be thoughtfully put out and in an integrated way where you think about food, energy, waste, water, and not just on a site-specific level, right? Which is why I often critique in my own discipline that most of the people who teach it only teach that scale of application. And I've suggested that it's narcissistic to teach permaculture just for the backyard and individual site design and not teach how to scale it up for regional planning, neighborhood planning, city design. It's where most of us live. We live in communities. We don't just live in our separate domiciles, fortunately. Right. So it's a planning tool that gives, that gives political leverage and addresses a bunch of ethical problems that are fraught in the present system. And the more that we participate in creating these alternatives, creating these regional systems, the more you start to be able to address these array of issues that you just can't address any other way.